Bill Bennett is our technology commentator today. Where shall we start? What's happened to a Waymo self-driving car? Why did it upset quite a few people by the sounds of it, Bill? Good morning. Well, yeah, it was in, um, on Saturday in San Francisco. A crowd smashed, smashed, smashed up, set fire to a Waymo self-driving car. It was, it, it was trying to get through the crowds. The, the streets were crowded in Chinatown in San Francisco because it's obviously the, um, the Chinese New Year, the Lunar New Year, and there was a, a kind of street party. It's like it's you know, like things like the Lantern Festival we used to have in Auckland and so on, where the streets are full of people and so on. And this self-driving car was trying to make its way through the crowds, which um, clearly upset the crowd. I mean, yeah, realistically, if you're a, if you're a driver in a car and you're trying to get through a crowd like that and you're a bit pushy, you're going you're gonna to upset the crowd and you can uh, trigger a small riot. Well, in this case, um, the crowd really took umbrage and um they not they surrounded the car they broke the windows smashed up they, they there were firecrackers and things they set a firecracker inside so the car they set fire to the car but the thing was that the whole thing was filmed by a few people and you can see crowds cheering them on as they're doing this um and waymo which is waymo is part of alphabet or google and it's it's been their driverless car business and it's been the company's been going for years but it's only recently started actually operating as a driverless um, cab firm in san francisco it's not it's not that popular with people um there apparently the, the local council tried to have them banned but they got overruled by a court there have been some injunctions to try and stop them and yet they carry on and um as i say Clearly, they they really they really weren't popular on Saturday. Um, Waymo trying to play it down, saying it was a one-off event, but it's not a one-off event. It turns out there's been quite a few attacks on driverless vehicles, um, particularly in San Francisco. This is just this one just happened to be caught on film, and it was in front of thousands of people. Whereas, quite often the um, the attacks are you know, almost. What, what I'm a bit um, confused about, Bill, is what kind of self-driving car is it? Because I thought we were still at the point where the promised, you know, actually are in use in yeah, in the open kind well, of uh, self-driving car wasn't actually here yet. Well, they are in they are in some cities in the US, and. Basically, what it comes down to is in a lot of places around the world, the various authorities and regulators don't think they're safe or ready to go on the streets yet. And there's some evidence now. I'll come to the evidence of why that is possibly a wise decision by um, governments and councils and so on. But the um, but in San Francisco, they are allowed to roam around the streets looking for traffic, uh, looking for business, and they do. Um, I'm confused what, by the fact happened? that it was driving in a crowd of pedestrians. And again, this comes to how these cars are programmed. Presumably it's programmed to go very slowly. Well, um, but I, it was, it was so, endeavouring yeah. to move. Yeah, obviously. Now, yeah, um, yeah, the other, the other question people, yeah. uh, is, this is indicative of a, of a challenge of this whole concept, which is where machine learning will ever fully comprehend human behaviour, particularly human behaviour on the roads, which as we know is some of the most um, 
instinctive they can be. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. The um, there's 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 um, Wayne gave out some publicity um, after this happened, saying about they 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 found something like a million miles of, I think it's a million miles of um, driverless uh, cab traffic in San Francisco since it started. Um, and there hasn't been a single fatality. And they're comparing that with numbers of fatalities with cars that have drivers. But the thing is, is that the cars with drivers, the fatalities are measured in hundreds of millions. So there's not enough, there's not enough evidence from the uh, one million um, trips to know whether, you know, whether or not they're safer than, than humans. But there have been some really big um, and well-publicized incidents very recently and um, Waymo's biggest rival in San Francisco is a company called Cruise. And Cruise is banned on the streets because last year, um, it, it car one of its cars hit a pedestrian in the streets of San Francisco and dragged them along the road. It didn't stop after hitting the pedestrian. And that person was dragged along the road and was quite severely injured. Um, so Cruise had its license to operate uh, suspended. And it's quite possible the crowd didn't know this is a Waymo car and not a cruise car when that this happened. But there was another incident with Waymo recently where where someone was knocked off a bike. And um, again, cyclists, you, I mean, they're the same in the world over. Cyclists are quite well organized and can act and they do act. And they seem to be really angry with the driverless car companies in San Francisco. And one of the things that cyclists have been doing is they've been putting traffic cones on the roof of driverless cars. And that just confuses them. And the, the cars are confused and they, they quite often have to stop um, because they because they can't, their sensors can't work when they've got a traffic cone on the top. The other thing that happened recently was a driverless car crashed into a fire truck that was racing to a fire. So, you know, there are stories. And the other story, which is the strangest one of all, is that there are events in San Francisco where all the driverless cars suddenly converge on a spot. And it's, and, and it's, it's strange where they, they go. Sometimes it's this kind of uh, suburban cul-de-sac with nothing much going on. And then suddenly, like twenty or thirty Waymo cars will converge on that. It's like that movie right that has just yeah. been on. Um, I'm trying to think of its name now. <laughs> That's exactly what happens well, with the Teslas. So, um, this is machines truly taking over. Okay. Anyway, the the, the mob took out as, as human beings are inclined to do. Took out their temper rather directly on it. Let's have a talk about this right to disconnect law that's coming in in Australia. And this is the idea that you should not, you should be able to go home and stop working and not be able or be required to be reached by uh, by the boss or by work. How is it couched the new law? It's an interesting one to well, try it, and write. It, it it kind of got stuffed up going through Parliament in in Canberra in that. Um, the way it's passed, and I think it was to do with um, shenanigans from the opposition, that they, they, it's been passed as an act, but there are criminal offences. So, so if um, if you're a boss and you call someone outside of work hours, and they they get upset about that, then there could possibly be jail time for you. I, I think in practice, that jail time isn't going to happen. Um, and in fact, the government says the Australian government says they will soon overturn that criminal part of the act. Um, but the, um, and the and the opposition parties are, are all against it, completely against it. But the the way the law works is it means that 
it doesn't mean that a boss simply cannot ring you outside of work hours because there are, there are circumstances where that has to happen. But what they can't do is they can't ring you, um, say, at 9 o'clock or 10 p.m. or whatever, and expect you to jump onto your computer and give them an immediate response and do some work immediately. And that has been happening a lot, and it does happen a lot. Um, and so that's that's the real purpose of the law. It's, there's there's going to be jobs. I mean, there are jobs where people are on call. And, I mean, we've all worked as journalists. You know, it's quite common for an editor to give you a call early morning and say, can you get down to the, the court or to the or to parliament because you'll, you'll be working from there this morning rather than coming into the office first. That sort of thing is quite reasonable. But it's not reasonable, for example, for someone to um, ring um, an employee at 10 o'clock at night and say, we've got a disgruntled customer. Can you go on the phone to them and put them right now? Um, but that simply can't be done anymore. It's, it's, um, it's, Australia's not alone in having these laws. There are similar laws in parts of Europe, but the, but the way that the Australian law has been passed with the criminal thing is really quite yeah, dramatic and different. But that turns out that that is an accident. Um, but it's, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about this? Um, look, it's a different thing to legislate for because you, yeah. this is about employment relationships, right? Uh, yeah. And yeah. who, honestly, if you've got someone who's on your you know, backside after hours, who thinks you're going to sort of take them on legally? And where's the, where, what's the mechanism you can use to do so? Uh, yeah, and if, and if you're say you're say you're a commissioned salesperson, you want that call to come in out of hours. Because I don't, I don't think it's, it's it's not about that. It's that I tell you what often happens is the email response thing, and um, you know those damn smartphones have had an enormous impact on productivity because we all work all day and all night getting things done in the moment, and it's kind of a human behaviour to see something and respond to it straight away. This is about saying you don't have to. Whether it means we won't is another matter. I, I'm not sure how much it adds to um, the psychology side of working after hours and just always on. And yeah, and I, 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 the other aspect of this like, that worries me is that, is that, okay, so say you're an employee and you do object when, when this happens and you do refuse to work. Um, you're, in, you're, you're completely legally within your rights, but when it comes to your annual review and you're sat down and you're, you know, your boss might say, well, you just don't have the right attitude, and they can abstract that and not talk about the fact that they wouldn't work outside of you know, working hours, but it's still going to count against people whether or not there's a law. There's another little trick, actually, that I was impressed to see one chief executive using in, uh, in their business, and one would hope... Uh, could be copied and required of all managers, which is, it's a really simple thing on your email system, isn't it? Uh, you program it to send it in the morning, not in the not in the instant that you're thinking something at 8pm or 9pm at night. Um, and building that kind of um, cap- capability into systems would probably get further than all the laws in the land. Yeah. But that's if you're of a mind to. And that's the bottom line. If if your organisation is not of a mind to behave well, I'm not sure how much difference the law is going to make. Ten years exactly. of streaming television in New Zealand. Is it only ten years? Well, n- sort of. I mean, in fact, in 2013, um, Coliseum started uh, streaming 
English football on um, um, in New Zealand. I remember that. And and lots of stress about buffering. Oh no, that was when it went onto a streaming service. The football. Yeah. If there's yeah, anybody no, who gets well, upset about anything being wrong with their uh, live programming, it's a football yeah. fan. Yeah, there was a bit of that when it started. But but um, the other thing is, is back when it started, people, a lot of people were watching on Copper Networks. They were watching on BDSL, not on Fibre. Um, but in 2014, well, for real, Netflix didn't actually arrive in New Zealand officially until 2015. But in 2014, there were thousands of uh, Kiwis signed up to the US version of Netflix. And the reason why I decided that streaming started 10 years ago is because if you look back at the fiber uptake statistics that's when the tick up the first tick up happened there were three inflection points where the um, uptake of fiber increased dramatically and the first one was in 2014 and that was when people were discovering streaming television and they were signing up and then people people doing all kinds of complicated things with vpns and there were um, ISPs selling products called things like Global Mode and so on, which would allow you to do this. But um, it kind of all kicked off in, in, in 2014, and that's when the first uptick in um, sign-ups for Fiverr happened. The second uptick, by the way, was for the Rugby World Cup in, in 2019, and that was, that was a huge um, uptick. And that was, of course, when Spark Sport had the streaming rights, and it wasn't what it Games did appear on free-to-air television, but not so many. Um, and the third um, inflection point was, of course, COVID. When COVID came along, as people started working from home, then the amount of traffic on the net just shot up again. But there were three of these inflection points, and the first one was in 2014, and we've been doing it ever since. Now, some of the names, there were some of the names from that time. I was, I was just researching this, and I was thinking, yeah, Lightbox. I remember Lightbox. I remember something called QuickFlix, too, where you could... QuickFlix was like a, a video shop where you could, I think, pay $7 and watch a movie, um, a streaming movie, which you, you can do that now, but this is quite early in well, the game. It's, it's, a, it's the big change, isn't it? It does feel like it's been longer, but that's the big change, just the sheer variety of apps available now and... Good old Aro Video well, has got yeah, its own what, kind of um, its own mechanism yeah, as well, but but the number of platforms and that's been part of the frustration because you know initially Netflix was this big new exciting thing that kind of um, curated all your content for you and yeah. you had one subscription service and now, now of course everybody's piled in and different. Uh, blockbusters will be found on different streaming services. I think the really exciting story for me is how good our local free-to-wear broadcasters have got with their own streaming services, specifically TNZ, yeah. and more recently um, TV3 with, um, what's it called, 3 On Demand. Yeah. Uh, the the quality of that in, in the, you know... The, 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 yeah, the, 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 my only rider to that is whenever there's whenever the Black Traps play, I immediately go to Sky Sport and it's not there and I think, why oh, the game's not on? Well, now it's free to... <laughs> It's funny, yeah, come on. Um, that went yeah. via Spark Sport to TVNZ. But forget, you know, forget the sport for one moment. It's it's a a really extensive range. It's a much more friendly uh, interface that's yeah. um, available across all these apps now, and it's just really become part and part of the viewing for most of us. And it's glorious. Yeah, you can pick when you watch the news. You can fast forward through the bits you're not interested in. There is some advertising, but not about 10 minutes of it. I went back to free-to-air the other night. I don't know why. 
And after about, felt like seven minutes of ads, I just gave up. Uh, so it's, I, I, it's exciting. I, I, yeah, no, I found exactly the same. I was in a, I was in a strange town and the only, and the, the only TV they had in the motel was um, free to air TV. And I just thought, when on earth Step back the in time. The only thing yeah. I would say about that are the, some of those same companies that are hosting these apps on this fabulous uh, time-shifted streaming are in increasingly deep financial stock because, of course, there's not the revenue stream yet well, to replace free-to-wear advertising. Hang on a minute. They're not... No, no, that's not quite right. Netflix makes a fortune, but the problem is is that companies like Disney uh, hived off their, their programs from Netflix, and a lot of those uh, did... And that didn't work. That didn't work for the uh, the media companies that made these programs. I think Disney did work, but the other ones just haven't worked, and so they're in stuck. I'm, I'm referring um, to our local um, providers. Oh, Sorry, yeah. not the not oh, the not the fangs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, now Google, speaking of free and streaming uh, and video, have been around. Goodness, how long has um, how long has oh, YouTube I... been around? And available here. Well, more than twenty years. Yeah. Um, but I, what's happening now? Well, well, what's happened is that Google this week Google hit hundred million paid subscriptions for what's called Google One, and Google One is basically you get Gmail and Google Drive, but you just it's the same as a free service, but you get more storage. Which sounds like this is this all sounds like pretty nice and cozy, but the reality is is that. People are running out of free storage. The, the, the 30 um, gigabytes or whatever that was originally given for free on um, Gmail and Google Drive and so on, it seemed a huge amount 10 years ago, but it's nothing now. And um, so people are running out of that, and they have to pay for, for a subscription for Google One to be able to store keep everything stored, particularly with things like photos and that with you know, people's... Um, photos they just keep on coming and people never people just don't go back and cull their photo collections very effectively so they're so people are signing up for the pay for service and google is just starting to sort of nudge people towards those pay for services so anyone that's had a gmail account for the last 20 years and has enjoyed that for free they're starting to get a lot more pressure from google to start paying for it and it's it's not that cheap i mean it's it's $3.50 a month for the basic plan, which, you know, okay, so that doesn't, that's a cup of coffee. It's not even a cup of coffee. It doesn't sound very much. But the uh, the next plan is $17 a month, yeah. and it's a 37 I come for you in the month. end. It's the subscription fatigue that gets to me, too. Yeah. Just, you know, price yeah. is bad, Just but constantly having to go. sign on and have a goddamn password and a, and a system for all of these things uh, is well, tiresome. Hey, tiresome, uh, but yeah, look at the service advice, we get uh, com- Yeah, compared to when we had a couple of free-to-air TV channels. Bill, thank you very much. Bill Bennett.